0: Hey everybody. Welcome back to the PC Perspective Podcast. We are at episode 671. This is being recorded on April 6, 2022. I'm Sebastian Peek. I'm Jeremy Hellstrom.
1: I'm Josh Walrus. I'm
0: Brett Van Sprunberg. And you can find out when we go live for events like this podcast recording session by going to pcpro.com slash subscribe, as long as that link is working currently. And you can support the site and this podcast by going to our Patreon. Yes, you can become a patron of the PC Pur Arts. It's patreon.com slash because we're very creative. And uh, just thank you to all of our patrons. I don't have any new names to add to this week from last week, but we appreciate all of you. And with that, let's move to our most important segment of the week.
1: It's Laramie, Wyoming. Josh, take it away. So today was... Um It it wasn't the most appetizing looking, as the pre-show may have commented upon, but it was certainly tasty. This is the Sombrero Burger. The Sombrero Burger is comprised of two all-beef patties, making up half a pound of meat, covered by roasted green chilies, a queso sauce, liberally basted with sour cream, and then topped off with tahini seasoning if you've never had tahini, you really should go out and buy some because it's tasty and altogether this created maybe an unappetizing looking burger but it certainly was tasty going down they did put onions tomatoes and pickles in there what actually did accentuate a lot of the flavors of the sombrero burger and the queso was not so liberally applied that it was extremely messy. I mean, the bun is just kind of barely there. Uh, you, you don't get a whole lot of the bread taste, which is good. I mean, it soaks up you know a lot of the meat and the juices and and that. But it doesn't uh, it doesn't really impede your enjoyment of of the beef flavor, the the crispiness of of the onions, the sour of the pickles. Then you know, combined with the sour cream, the queso, and the tahini sauce. And with two very, very, very large pieces of meat, I mean, it's, 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 it really is overload. And, uh, I didn't think that it would work as well as it did, but it was, was fantastic. I, I would recommend it to anyone who is a burger enthusiast. And, and the fries were, again, outstanding for, uh, for what we had for today. So, yeah, I, I'm full for the next 24 hours and, uh, I'm happy about it. And so far, nothing negative has, has occurred to me.
0: Let's talk about one of the bigger stories from the last week, which was the mysterious bonus overclocking that AMD users were reporting when they had both an AMD CPU and GPU and installed the latest Radeon drivers and found that their CPU was actually being overclocked by the Radeon Adrenaline drivers which is very exciting and possibly voids your warranty. I mean, if you read tech, I mean, if it's their software doing it, do we get around that? Does it not void the warranty? But AMD has, um, this is a TOMS hardware. They've confirmed to TOMS that a bug in its GPU driver is in fact changing Ryzen CPU settings in the BIOS without permission. So it's, you know, auto overclocking. Quote, we are aware of an issue in the AMD software suite that is adjusting certain AMD processor settings for some users. We are investigating the issue and we'll share more information as soon as we're able. And by the way, since when is CPU overclocking available through Adrenaline? I noticed that
2: recently, but I did not, I don't know how new that is. Well, they uh, bundled the Ryzen Master into it. So it is actually Ryzen Master that is providing the overclocking is just wrapped into the Adrenaline. And there's a, a driver slimmer you can download uh, from a vari- GitHub or a variety of other places that lets you remove certain parts from the adrenaline driver. And so you can actually remove the Ryzen master part, which is where this overclocking is coming from, even if it is just PBO. But it, yeah, it's just sort of a nasty surprise. And you know if you've went just, okay, I'm barely okay. I don't want to overclock because the PSU is going to get a little flaky. My memory is going to get a little flaky. Yeah, well, surprise—that's why your system's been a little bit wonky lately.
3: This is recent addition or recent change, or this? How long do you think two, this has been there? What
2: was the news on this? Two official ones ago, and that one came out. I want to say November. Yeah, huh? Like it was a long time before they refreshed their driver again, and mm-hmm. didn't really do much. But it's still in there.
1: Well, I mean, they've refreshed the driver like five or six times since November, but it's. Not all weekly, I think. No, it's the beta channel. I, I got nothing to say other than I, I tested with two driver versions ago uh, in my big roundup that I'm working on. So happy. I, I didn't notice any CPU overclocking, especially in like 3D Mark. It wasn't anything outstanding, but who knows? Okay.
0: That was on a Ryzen, what a Ryzen seven or a Ryzen nine six
1: hundred X Ryzen uh, five. Okay, okay. So now at two hundred to- bucks is a really really nice little gaming processor. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Especially at higher resolutions, because you're not going to be held back by Ryzen five if you're at like no, fourteen forty. You are correct. Enough with this 1080p gaming with high end CPUs. Come on. <laughs> really. All right, uh, that was AMD. What about Intel? Intel was in the news today. Some very interesting things. I know Josh was on Twitter earlier talking about this very thing, and I'll just not source, the very thing. Well, sort of. Well, yeah. I'll source uh, WCCF Tech here because they had uh, an article with an update, with an Intel statement. So, so
1: basically, it's it's much ado about nothing. So yes. at first, we saw these uh, slides from a uh, Intel patent that looked shockingly similar to the original AMD Zen uh, layouts. And people thought, oh my gosh, they're, they're trying to patent out, you know, what AMD has already done and inconceivable turns out to not quite be the case. Um, yes, it is identical. However, this is kind of boilerplate on what a modern CPU looks like. They probably had, you know, kind of the the explanation is that they had an intern go and grab a bunch of, uh, you know, diagrams of what a modern CPU looks like because the patent is actually about uh, a security subset, I believe, uh, that they were working on that had absolutely nothing to do with The design that they had kind of submitted as pat pat, as the patent, but again, that was that was it was kind of like this background boilerplate of what they were trying to do. That describes you know where this fits in with a modern processor, and it just so happens that it was identical to what the AMD Zen was. So no, Intel was not in fact trying to patent Uh, AMD's CPU. I think AMD already has that not only patented, but they, they certainly have prior art uh, that they have sold millions of, of CPUs based on that well before Intel uh, filed this patent. So, yeah, Ocean Cove uh, core architecture is not only not alive, but it's it's just kind of a a strange little citation uh, because it's, it's, it's a security deal. I don't know. It's, it's bizarre, but they could have done better. And uh, it's certainly got a few people's head spinning about why it would be. But yeah, it's, it's just, it's just essentially boilerplate on a patent application uh, that deals with another part of CPU design that has nothing to do with any of those diagrams. It's just, it's just a the U.S. patent
3: crap. It's yeah. a picture.
1: Let it go. Yeah.
2: They stole a thousand words.
1: They did.
0: It is kind of funny to look at, though. But once you have the context of, no, we were just referencing this, this presentation, yeah. and that's why we have the uh, microarchitecture so exact. But it was a fun thread to follow earlier today. I'm yes. Sure. Cuz we were looking at okay, here's here's Intel's patent. Here's AMD's architecture. Intel's patent. AMD's architecture. These pictures just, are the same. Yeah, they're the same. They just this is the same. So, apparently that was just well, they were I referencing mean, this.
3: Yeah. You know, when when you're debugging, you know, IA64 or when you're when you're decoding IA64 or ISA, then, you know, the the, the sort of the steps look somewhat similar.
2: Isn't Your logical flow out. chart <laughs> matches my logical flow chart.
3: Yeah, yeah,
1: but I mean, you know, a lot of the numbers obviously were identical, and yeah, um, mm. yeah. I mean, it, they were identical, and I don't think that intern probably works at Intel anymore. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> or AMD. <laughs> oh, that's cruel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Speaking of Intel,
0: they have a new processor on the market. It went on sale, I think, officially yesterday. And it's currently mm-hmm. available in the U.S. at places like Amazon and Newegg.com. I'm of course referring to the Intel Core i9, twelve nine hundred KS, the Kentucky Shroud Edition. And here it is at at uh, Amazon. Now, six or seven hundred and thirty nine dollars is roughly the expected price on this. Of course, it depends on how many you're buying. Amazon. This is shipped and sold by Amazon. They want eight forty four twenty one for this. Which seems like a lot. I had seen pre-orders of $7.99, but Newegg is... No, blame more, the unions. Newegg has it for seven seventy nine, and they show seven ninety nine is as the list price, which seems more accurate based on some other places I saw. So if you have nearly $800 to spend and you don't want to try to play Silicon Lottery and get that magical 12900 k that'll do the same thing as this one... You can get yourself a pre-bend 12900K that'll do uh, up to 5.5 gigahertz out of the box. Now Look at that processor base power. Yes. I mean, it starts at 150, but that's... I mean, who's going to limit it to 150? Who indeed. Still, it still shows a maximum turbo power of 241, but if you have your motherboard set up like so many are by default for some... Insane max, like four thousand ninety-six watts, for example, for PL one and PL two. Then you will uh, you will exceed that. You will exceed two forty-one. But as you can see, here the breakdown here: turbo boost max is five point five. I think that's on up to four cores, and then you have uh, that's the that's thermal velocity boost. So that's opportunistic boosting. Then you have turbo boost max 3.0 up to 5.3 and the actual p core max is 5.2 with your e cores at 4 gigahertz so nothing earth shattering for the standard p core and e core compared to just basic overclocking on a k but you get those fast default frequencies depending on your workload of course gaming was the one that they were showcasing when they introduced this at ces so, in theory, if your game is only taking, say, like four cores, it'll be at five point five opportunistically, depending on your cooling, what what the power limits are set to. So,
1: it'll be fun to play For with eight hundred smackaroos. Well, think about this,
0: Josh. You remember hmm. the Extreme Edition processor? Oh yeah, it was a thousand dollar processor, right? Back in a- the day. At launch, nine ninety nine. Yep. So here we have basically the modern version of a Pentium D nine sixty five. For seven ninety nine to
1: launch, so I
0: mean, oh, don't don't
3: spoil it, don't spoil it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not
1: spoiling anything. It's fine. And it's not even hey, two, you know, physical pieces of silicon. It's just one. true.
3: Yeah, somebody should start a company that uh, just bins regular ones at this to get them to mm. this level. I don't think that I would think, last. I don't think they'd be able to stay. No, com- in I don't
0: business, know. I think that's so.
3: probably got legs. No. I don't know. It mm, seems like a I great idea.
2: We used to have binner's back in the day, but uh, not sweet for the same reason. We're flip-flopping.
0: Back to AMD. It's going to happen again. AMD is acquiring a smart nick and networking firm called Pensando for almost $2 billion.
2: Oh, Pensando. I'm, Two, that's a
3: selling picture. $2 billion, which is pocket change for what they made off selling GPUs. We have these contractions and these expansions of
1: of you know where you put... Transistors and performance. So you know the big goal is is to have everything in, in one chip in one place. But then you have other workloads that come up, and they require an external chip that is large and and consumes power. And DPU's, uh, you know, the or NPUs. I can't remember what exactly. That's 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 an area when we finally have, you know so many IOs going through 10G plus networks that you wanna do things compute wise at kind of the point of entry in networking and not rely more on on the host CPU or a GPU doing very, very specialized things. This is doing its own little thing. It's, It's a programmable network chip that, you can do all kinds of workloads on. And with the connectivity that we have and what we need and what servers require, uh, this is a growth industry and it's becoming very important. And guys like Intel and Nvidia and others have been, uh, you know, pushing on these chips and expanding their abilities and speed and power consumption and complexity. And it, you know, AMD was obviously feeling like they were falling behind because Intel has an amazing network chip group that, you know, their chips are essentially the, the standard. Um, NVIDIA has invested in this as well. And we can see this on some of their high end $200,000 plus uh, big cube things that have all that integrated in the back. And uh, yeah, AMD is, is, is catching up. And if they're trying to push Epic as far as they can, excuse me, Epic. Uh, they had to go with it route. So it's, it's good that they did it, and uh, hopefully this group is good. And again, it is a logical progression uh, and the server, server and storage space for AMD to invest in something like this because it's extremely important.
2: Did I miss anything, um, Jeremy? I, mean, I was going to say that I absolutely agree that Intel is a de facto for general networking, but as far as their smart NICs go, they're still sort of sorting that out. Like they haven't come to a, anywhere near the sort of level that they have with the, the Wi Fi and the, the general Ethernet. So you've got AMD, who's just picked up Ponsado, who honestly, and before this, I'd never heard of them, but apparently they work with uh, IBM, uh, Azure, and the Oracle Cloud. So they've got a huge customer base, and they've got a customer base that knows what they need when they're shopping for a smart link, or a smart nick. And they just, AMD, blew significantly more than this, picking up uh, Zilnix or Zilinx, or however you want to say that. Who well, also Xilinx? Well, there's another I in there. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's that company that AMD bought, so you don't have to worry about it anymore. It's AMD. It's spelled A-M-D. <laughs> so they also worked with networking and also touched a little bit on Smart next. So you've got all of a sudden what is going to hopefully be a really good collaboration, or at least they're all going to be under the same roof and working towards something. So it really puts Intel on a defensive setting of, you know, this is not something we've really gone into yet in a serious way where we're trying to make it a major chunk of business. We've sort of touched it, but... We just love the fact everyone's Wi-Fi chip and network uh, card in their system is using one of our stuff. NVIDIA, on the other hand, I mean, they've been doing a lot of this sort of acquisition and working to get all of their GPUs talking together as quickly as they possibly can. And so if AMD can get this going with their homogenized uh, CPU and GPU, that might actually really sort of push them along because they've been doing this infinity band fabric, uh, or sorry, infinity fabric for a while. Now they're, they're really sort of focusing on the interconnect and this is another step they weren't at yet, but I'd love to see, you know, what this bleeds up to in the next three or four years.
0: And if you're curious what a smart Nick is uh, our friends over at NVIDIA or the first result I found. <laughs> what is a smart on the NVIDIA blog? It is a programmable accelerator that makes data center networking, security, and storage efficient and flexible. And then there's a picture of Jensen down here, too.
2: It's of course a service. network card with a serious GP, a CPU on it and local memory. And
1: I mean, the firmware has, has got to be pretty
2: intense. Uh, I mean, you remember back when uh,
1: the the K guys, the killer Nick, uh, they they... Uh, their first generation product was actually really good. Yeah. And you could you could download and install apps on the card that could do a lot of really interesting things at the time. It was mm-hmm. overkill for gaming enthusiasts because the technology was essentially low end enterprise. And hardly anybody really took advantage of the Killer Nick's capabilities that it had for, you know, not only Killer Nick software, but third party stuff that they could probably use. And uh but when it comes to the data center, where you have massive amounts of data that need to get to other servers and front ends, and you need to do other kind of traffic shaping and security and and and, and I mean, it just goes on. I mean, it is very compute intensive uh, to get everything where it needs to go effectively and efficiently and. This is a group that's doing this. And AMD, I think, made a reasonable purchase because they need the technology. I don't know how well the company Pensado was performing, but they 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 have the expertise and the hardware and the design knowledge which AMD needs. Intel
0: at Ars Technica, Core i3-12100 and i5-12400 review. They call them fast, affordable, and hard to criticize, which, honestly, they are. I mean, anything that's low cost with good performance, how can you be critical of it? Even if it's not from your favorite CPU brand. The only thing I'd like to say about this, and I don't want to necessarily turn this into a debate about testing methodology, but I made a remark on Twitter in reference to, I think, this the other day about the AMD platforms, because as expected, I mean, you're you're going to pair typically memory that is the official supported spec.
3: Well, I mean, you'd be None foolish others. not to, especially on AMD platform, foolish okay. not to. If, if you look at whatever
0: the official published specification is for memory for a, for a CPU, Intel used to be like 2666, then 2933, then finally up to 3200. AMD has been at 3200 for a while with Ryzen processors, officially anyway. Though I think just about anyone who is enough of an enthusiast to build their own PC and is running an AMD Ryzen is probably running 3,600 memory because then you get the 1,800 F clock and everything's faster. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And. But officially. But officially it's still 3,200. Yes. So there's question marks all over the place, like the fact that now, I I do understand that they're trying to put the AMD and Intel platforms on an even footing because they're only using 3200 DDR4 on the Intel 12th gen platform instead of DDR5. They're using lower cost boards like a Prime B660 plus hmm. board. But there's also a huge memory disparity that was criticized. 64 gigabytes of the Intel platform, only 16 on the uh, AMD.
2: Oh, which is wow. odd, but... I suspect God. that was either a previous benchmark or a uh, memory <laughs> compatibility issue, but I suspect Maybe. it was previous benchmark. Probably. You're right.
0: And yeah. then the, the just why I I 16 gigs of 3200 DDR4 for the Ryzen 5 3600 and then the same memory for the Ryzen 7 5700G. And one would think that if you're going to run integrated graphics, you would spring the extra 10 bucks or so for a 3600 memory.
1: Because, I mean, 16 gigabytes of memory these days is not expensive. I mean, they haven't exactly hamstrung it, but they didn't do any favors. No.
2: And I totally and I completely agree with it, but I didn't really think that was more... Th- those were more like, like they threw an M1 in there. The M1's memory didn't match that at all either.
3: Yeah. I mean, oh, gosh, no. No, that's all right? on, but on chip.
2: I think it was more that they wanted to show that, you know, everyone who's saving up for an i7 or an i9 to run at 1080p. I think this article made a really good argument that, you know what, you don't need to. An That's i3 true. or an i5 is gonna do you brilliantly. And yeah, you complain that, yeah, the 3600 was a little bit crippled. Uh, you could also complain that 3600 is selling for almost what it should be. Um, whereas the only reason that the i5-12400F is a reasonable comparison is because it currently costs about as much as that when it should be. Okay, but cheaper. Uh,
1: here's the problem is that it's still a Ryzen 3600, right? Yep. Oh,
3: hmm mm-hmm.
1: Which is a generation behind even, you know, what was released recently. It is. Yeah. Like the 5600, which is so much better in gaming than the 3600.
2: Huh. And to yeah, be honest, I mean, you'd be better off going that, go right? ours. This doesn't but, make yeah. any sense.
1: This is one of
0: those things where if this was presented to me, I would say, "Okay, this is interesting. Uh, we need to put some five thousand results in there, because there's no way we can publish an article where we're comparing 12th gen Intel against to a three year old like processor like Zen two. Like you need, which is still
2: on. often beating them, right? So it's, uh, it's just because um, there is also that." <laughs> Not in every case. Of course not. But I don't know. I just sort of like I saw this and I was reading more of the i5 and the i3 because you don't see them benchmarked enough. Mm-hmm. And I think they just didn't want to have two bars on the graphs. Could they have done a better job choosing what they compared it to or, you know, fired up something more recent to compare it? Absolutely, yes. Maybe this and guy
1: yeah. wrote this thing for $20 and these are the only chips that he had on hand. Yeah. For comparison. Yeah, they blew
2: their budget
3: on those uh, Intel um, other boards and then they just, they couldn't buy rise. Oh, Ryzen. And devices, that memory. So, I don't know. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was thinking the 5,700 G was more difficult to come by.
0: That's been well, fairly easy had to get for a but while. Yep. Yeah. It, that's, it wasn't mine. at first, but yeah, no, exactly. It was hard to get and they weren't sampling me, right. but I eventually got one for like 300.
1: Now they're super common.
2: Yes. But the takeaway is that if you hate AMD and refuse to buy one of their modern ones right now, you don't really have to pull for an i7 or an i9 if you're just doing light gaming. It's silly. Oh, no.
3: Mirror, is it? No mirror. Four core CPUs are dead. Haven't you heard? Well,
2: you can still get them, but do you really want
0: to? Remember when NVIDIA tried to buy ARM, but oh, that was, that gonna was gonna cute. That was cute, ARM like has Linux. been
2: pretty lavish lately.
1: Linux?
0: It's just
2: putting itself out there
0: is reportedly considering forming a consortium, this is according to the register, to acquire UK chip designer ARM. But it's only in the early stages of planning, and they may not actually proceed with the move, but it's still newsworthy,
1: apparently. Well, they they would have to create a consortium because SK Hynix could not buy it by themselves. Yes, they produce a lot
2: of memory. No, their company is not worth anywhere near what NVIDIA is. Ah, but... Well, it's SK Group that would come up with the money, and they're, of course, significantly bigger than SK Hynix, but still. Oh yeah, this would yeah. been a problem. So, did you <sighs> hear? Did you notice what is being done behind the scenes at ARM to make this possible? Do tell. Do tell. So, ARM China has been a problem for a while. They they fired the CEO for like some just blatant nepotism and other you know really bad practices, and so you know what he did. He didn't leave. He, he's still running Arm China. He, he was officially canned along with most of his board of directors, but they're they're still there and refuse to leave. Uh, and this is in the courts. So because, because
1: the way China does these things, the third party, well, first party, does not first have party. actual control over the company. So Arm China is a separate company from Arm. Arm owns 49% of that. So they don't have majority ownership of yes. that. So Arm China's like, screw you, we're, we're staying in here and there's nothing you can do about it. And Arm's like, you're right, we signed on to this and that's how we got into you know a market of 1.9 billion people. <laughs> well, and now we're paying for it.
2: So now what they're going to do is they've decided, alright, if this is the way that you guys want to play, Arm China, we're Changing you into an ARM licensee. You are no longer officially part of ARM, uh, and your valuation will still remain with SoftBank. Whole different friggin' conversation there. But ARM itself is going to be severing one of its limbs to become a licensee, so it's no longer involved in the sale of the ARM parent company. Therefore, in theory, possibly making it affordable for. SK uh, Hynix's parent group or consortium, however you want to call it, to actually do this. Whether or not SoftBank will immediately call, turn around and buy SK Group, and then it just doesn't actually matter except on paper. Well, I mean that's just speculation, but uh, yeah, it's it's been a long drawn out soap opera we've been watching for many a year, and it's it's kind of amusing.
3: Hey, Josh, why is a is an arm sale to the SK Group more palatable? Than potentially a sale to NVIDIA. Why is this getting some play right now? Why are people more energized about this? Why is this more acceptable?
1: Uh, because SK Hynix sells to everybody and they don't license out stuff to everybody.
3: So they, they don't have chips. a suspicious past. They don't have a suspicious past of locking people out and playing hardball. <laughs>
1: yeah that yeah that and, <laughs> and and I mean it would just it would still exist kind of as it is, except hmm. making money for different people and not under the control of somebody like Nvidia who has been aggressive in the past in uh, dealing with partners so yeah the, the, it's 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 not like adding on to a primary Mover of a single company. So, I mean, NVIDIA has been doing, you know, CPUs by themselves. They do GPUs. GPUs are essentially now just massively parallel CPUs, you know, general purpose type stuff. And when they were going to kind of envelop ARM, that caused a lot of angst and anxiety among many partners because suddenly their primary product is now licensed to them from a competitor. And that's when things get tricky. SK Honix being primarily memory and some basic controllers and whatnot. Not as much of a
2: worry. Well, and the other thing is that if you're buying out what was ARM China, it means that and there's an ARM licensee. So now all of a sudden, a lot of the legal fight, especially in the UK, we're like, hell, we want to keep ARM England bound. Uh, a lot of the stuff, the, the legal finagling that we saw means that it's not going to happen because well i mean who cares it's overseas the fact that it still represents a huge chunk of arm you know is it's being ignored so everyone's yeah. happy about it
0: let's pause here for a word from our podcast sponsor this week
3: Hey, have you heard of Collide yet? Collide sends employees important, timely, and relevant security recommendations for their Linux, Mac, or Windows devices right inside Slack. And if you're like many organizations, you know you can reach your employees on Slack. Collide is perfect for organizations that care deeply about compliance and security, but don't want to get there by locking down devices to the point where they become unusable. Instead of frustrating your employees, Collide educates them about security and device management while directing them to fix important issues. Visit collide.com slash PC per to check this out and sign up today. That's kolidecom dot slash PCPer. Use your email and get a free Collide gift bundle after trial activation. At Collide, we know that end users are IT admin's most significant untapped resource and their key to solving the most challenging to fix security issues, including instructing developers to set passphrases on unencrypted SSH keys, finding plain text two-factor backup codes and teaching end users how to store them securely and convincing employees to uninstall those evil browser extensions that may even sell their browser history. These are just some of the many use cases not solved by locking down devices. You can try Collide with all of its features on an unlimited number of devices for free for 14 days with no credit card required. Try it out at collide.com/pcpur. That's k o l i d e.com/pcpur.
0: We're back and we're going to talk about a new CPU cooler from Noctua. Yes, Noctua Makers of that beautiful tan and brown. And of course, they'd make some, you know, monochrome like black stuff now, which is, I feel like it's off off putting
1: for an knock. Is isn't that a song, Oh Tan and Brown? Got, oh Tan and yeah. Brown?
3: <laughs> yes. They've, yes. Got, they've got corner colors. They've got the little rubber things you can put in the corners that have different colors. I,
0: yeah, but it's, it's supposed to be very brown. colorful. Okay. Very the, colorful. The classic is supposed to be tan, the corners are supposed yeah, to be brown. Okay. And there is no question. Is. Yesterday in Vienna, Noctua presented the all new NHD 12L, L for low height. Now, this is going to be a 145 millimeter tall, that is 12, 13 millimeters lower than Noctua's regular 120, mil, uh, 120 millimeter model. This isn't much taller than the, the old 92 millimeter stuff. And think of the cooling potential here with this low-height dual-tower CPU cooler. It's a round-frame version of the award-winning NF-A12 by 25. So, Award-winning. Yes. And this is a 4U yeah. rack-mount compatible low-height hmm.
3: dual-tower cooler. So I can see... I'm just, I'm just not getting a uh, sense of scale by looking at these, these pictures. Maybe we'll watch their YouTube video. Maybe that will maybe a little bit just to okay. kind of like zero in on why this is spectacular. Okay, I'm, uh-huh. I'm sure it's just the, the mm-hmm. fact that they engineered this to be for you. Five five
1: by five. Okay. Five. Well, I mean, uh, it's on its
2: side, they keep moving the fan. Oh, oh look at there's that! There's the yeah. four Indian
0: U glass.
2: Okay, that's good. Uh-huh. Airflow.
0: <laughs>
1: Oh look, it's it's uh it's asymmetrical. It's uh, one side is wider than the other. Yeah.
2: And it's got those. It's like the left uh,
1: side hangs about an inch lower than the other. Is that to avoid hey, the memory, Everyone do you can be
2: symmetrical. I think, that's I so think
1: when you, avoid the you band them together that they don't necessarily no, that's not what it does at all. It, that's just a handy feature. <gasps> what oh, I would use you do <laughs> I would so it's like a tiny v 15 <laughs> Yep. Look at that. Oh.
0: Well, just it's think cute. about this: the you previously always had to have 165 millimeters for most higher performance dual tower designs, or things like the Hyper 212 Evo. That's 165 <clears throat> millimeters approximately. So it's just nice to see something that's big and capable. I want to see some reviews. I actually went to buy one of mm-hmm. these. I saw this, and yesterday I went to Amazon, and they don't have it yet. I should probably reach out to them and say, hey, can I review this? Because i would I'm very curious. Because we, we do have a, a relationship with them, correct? It's been a while. I think Maury mm. was our, our guy. I don't yeah. even know who our press contact would be. I will reach out to them. Or if you're watching, oh, okay. Joe, talk to me. We will review this. The return of Monkey Island is coming, and it's called Return to Monkey Island. Confirmed.
3: That's damn clever. Damn clever. Yeah.
2: It's a sequel to uh, the second one, even though there was a third through sixth one made.
3: Wait a minute, so this is a
0: sequel to Monkey Island 2 and not Curse of Monkey Island, which was three? This is
2: a sequel to Revenge of, but the skull might be in it. Okay, wait a minute, though, because he teased this on
0: April Fool's Day, but now they're saying it's real. Yeah, and then
2: he owned up to it, Hmm. and the, the hardest thing to believe about it is that Disney actually said, you know what, you can actually touch your IP again, and you know what we're even going to give you the some of the musicians from uh, what is left of the lucas art studios uh musicians to uh do the sound for it they've grabbed a couple of the old uh, voices like dominic that did uh, the original guy brush so it's going to be interesting to see although the teaser that they put out was just hand drawn stop motion i have an original copy here this is the
0: this is even pre mt32 you had to send away for the mt32 support
3: didn't that's didn't one you order the giant specialty only 100 ever made pack or yeah your and got it for I, you?
0: I did an unboxing of that
3: on our uh for patrons it was gorgeous only. it was gorgeous and the amount of swag that came with it legendary it's pretty impressive i don't know if i'll yeah if
0: there's any point in putting that up on our main YouTube channel but I did an unboxing mm. video about that. This was a very interesting story in the last few days because I'm thinking this isn't even a 3D game in yeah. the yeah, how sense. So how? I'm guessing this is running on a new engine. I'm not I haven't looked into this yet. I need to. Classic Doom fully ray trace. The same thing the same treatment we
1: got with Quake. Okay, somehow. even even though Doom is sprite-based in things, it yeah. still was a 3D space yeah, engine. it was. Okay. But, I mean, Oops. you know, all the characters were all sprite-based because they couldn't do thousands of polygons effectively in 1993 or whenever. But it was still a, a, a 3D space in terms of walls and height and stuff like that. But it was just, you know, essentially when the characters came in, uh, it it blew the the polygon uh, and so they they had all Sprite based. So if you, you know, if you look at the, uh, the, 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 you know, characters, when you're doing ray trace, they're still Sprite based characters. It's just the environment and lighting around it much different. Hmm. Right, Sprite-based Just, just lighting.
3: Would it surprise you to learn this? I believe this is NVIDIA only.
0: Yes. Yes, it is. A humble bundle makes its way into our gaming quick hits again. Who can tell us about the Killing Floor collection?
3: Jeremy, you picked this up. Co-op survival horror slaughter. Who taught
2: <laughs> the Killing Floor first? Yeah, it's, a, it's the first one, and then the significantly better from what people tell me second one um, with like a whole bunch of ridiculous add-ons, including the ZX one. It's it's a silly little co-op survival that's uh, a hell of a lot of fun, and the frag and frogs were a thing that's used to come out. ton of
3: weapon packs. If you keep scrolling, you'll see them over and over and over and over. So many weapon packs, so many skins, so many ways of smashing your opponents into atoms. It's it's all in good fun, though. It is a bit of a ridiculous shooter. That, we like them that way sometimes. And this is like everything all at once for cheap. So if this is the kind of thing okay. you like, you'll like this sort of thing. It's a $231 value for just, well, I mean,
0: you pick a price. I'm You surprised. need to spend at least $25 yeah, it's like, to get everything. It's pennies on the dollar. Yeah. That's the 34 item bundle. But yeah, check it out if you're interested. Let's move on to our security corner, since we've uh, adorably named all of our uh, sections. Of you can podcast. blame me. You can I blame me. I do
3: blame ahead. you, actually, privately. Mm, it my is my mind. fault. It is. Yep. All right. All right. Uh,
0: that's just how it reads in the show notes anyway. Let's look at the Mac. Speaking of Brett, Mac security, the <laughs> Mac security blog. And uh, there's a little story here from yesterday called Apple neglects to patch to zero day wild vulnerabilities for macOS Bigger hey, and Catalina. Hey, hey, Neglect. wait,
3: they just oh, patched look. those. The, the they finder is sad. <laughs> they just patched those, but not everywhere. No,
0: no, you, They here's the thing. They don't want you running these antiquated, deprecated operating systems. Literally, if they're not yeah. supporting them anymore with security updates, they're gone. Because Apple wants you to run their uh, basically iOS on a desktop now, which is oh, only you the signed you 64-bit now. applications. And anything else, you got to virtualize. So screw you. Just rely on Rosetta <laughs> for everything because I'm sorry. And actually, if your application is 64-bit but only has a
3: 32-bit installer, Adobe, it won't run at all. Part of the news story here is that Apple was only patching the very latest versions of the OS for the most significant problems. And there were a couple of security researchers who went back in time and discovered this is unfortunately habitual for Apple, which is the meaning that there's significant vulnerabilities that they're only patching in the latest version of the OS, even though they say they fully support the last two versions plus the, the most latest version for all patching and things like that. They're really not doing it, unfortunately. And this shows the uh, an unfortunate side of, of Apple's kind of breaking their security promise to those running their OS, which a lot of people like to point at and say, this is a, a secure operating system that is actively patched and maintained. And it isn't always. And this latest story, unfortunately, proves that, that this is a very significant uh, um, zero-day, essentially, exploit um, that is not that difficult uh, to take advantage of. And they have really only patched the very latest OSs. And there's a very significant part of the Apple community that's not running the latest OS. So this Apple has left them exposed and will not talk about
2: it. Yeah, if you're not on the
3: latest OS... Screw you. <laughs> yeah. If you're not on the latest OS when they
0: first release a beta of it, like you should be in a dev channel and be getting mm.
3: the latest. Well, you know what? And testing it. For the, them. the population or community pie chart says otherwise from a usage uh, statistics that says most people are not on the latest OS, you know, from a worldwide population perspective. That's just the facts. And Apple does not have your back on this one. So be careful. <laughs> this one. One
0: more security story before we move to a surprise. Oh, yes. Review. Because the, the, Jeremy's going to like
2: this one. <laughs> the Lynxes and Apaches are feeling jumpy this spring.
0: So sorry, the what, is,
2: the Lynxes.
0: what
3: is spring for shell? It's crap. <laughs> hey, do you remember the log four J problem from not that long ago? Well, it welcome back really this is, No, Correct. This is uh, springtime. Leave that log 4 J. Leave that Yuletide log behind. That was that's winter. It's springtime. Flush that log down. Flush springtime. Flush that freaking log. It's spring. So this is another very serious vulnerability in the very popular spring framework that also allows remote code execution and obviously an interactive shell if possible so for god's sakes people there uh spring was really quick about patching this uh but it's up to all the um the vendors that are running huge stacks of software it's like a billion websites out there that are potentially running this I, i might over exaggerate by a zero but the point is is that the vulnerability uh surface area out there is very 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 large patch your spring framework because you're in trouble Hey, Let's talk about VLC oh, real here's, quick. Oh, Yeah, I just saw this
2: while we were yeah, talking. I just saw so this Apparently,
0: too. Chinese hackers have used VLC media player to launch malware loader. That's not good.
2: So Yeah, it's a DLL injection so that if they can get in there, mm-hmm. then when you launch VLC player, it does some fun stuff.
3: What's the attack vector on this? Do you need to load a particular video or is it the DLC call up? No, they've so
2: already you uh, hit your work. system.
3: Oh, Okay. It's side loading, so the attacker so as long uses a clean
2: Lincoln.
0: version of VLC with a malicious DLL file in the same path as the media player's export
2: functions. And so you can actually fiddle with that, um, especially if you're doing like automatic exporting of stuff. So yeah, uh, it. I don't think it's going to be huge, but just the penetration of VLC is it makes it scary. Absolutely, that's on many a corporate image because it's one of the better ones to use. Yes,
3: it is. But you know what? There's more Java out there. I would more, more exposed Java because you find yeah. a lot more VLC behind firewalls and especially NAT bridges and stuff like that. So it, it's, that's be harder to take advantage of. Whereas a lot of the, like the Java one that we just talked about is public, public exposed on yeah. corporate servers and things like that. So that's a, that's a real storm waiting to happen. We again.
0: have waited long enough. Jeremy what? wrote a review and it's not hard
3: work. Hit us. I know, this is the weird
2: one. It's a weird one. Wait. So I get a lot of PR flacks offering me game keys, or at least, you know, hey, inquire if you'd like to. And honestly, I mean, I'm not going to check out the brand new farm simulator game. And so a lot of it is just sort of, yeah, you know, I've got no interest whatsoever. But every once in a blue moon, something comes along uh, that's like, you know what? I don't mind giving this a shot. And saying in the first sentence of the review that, yes, they gave me this and then sort of finishing it off by going, and I wish I could say good things about it. So this is uh, not really a sequel, but a redo do of uh, Code Force's original Distant Worlds Universal game, which was a a, a 4X Universal Galactic overlords sort of simulator with some fairly interesting mechanics to it. They didn't, do like a lot of what the late Civs have been doing, where they're trying to simplify it down to attract a much wider variety of people. These guys are doubling down like, no, we want someone that actually is like, needs menus that go eight steps deep and is actually going into it. So you start out in your usual universe simulator with, you know, a small planet that you've barely managed to get into orbit on and who the hell knows what uh, a warp drive is and slowly start to expand and to, you know, further and further ways. But now of course you're running into an issue. Interesting thing. Cause this one, this uses gas, your, your ships actually have fuel capacity. And so you got to start working on one, increasing the fuel capacity in the ships and two start figuring out how to build fleets of fuel tankers, which can go out and resupply your ships because eventually you start having to go a fair distance and it all can also take a while and it, it really sucks when you go out and you send your mighty fleet out to go and slay a space dragon and it gets stuck there until the tankers can come and top them up again to get home because in the meantime you've got other stuff it eventually becomes insane every single one of those dots that you're seeing on that map and if you zoom in there's significantly more if you go to the next one screen it's uh they represent what could be a transport ship going from a mining station to a supply depot or a colony. It could be some of your military ships. It could be the aforementioned fuel tankers running around. It could be other people's traders running around, your traders. It becomes ridiculous. And the thing about it is is that the vast majority of it is automated. You're sitting there and you're just watching the prompts as to say, okay, you know, it looks like you're running short on fuel tankers. Should you want to build a much more for this many credits? Yeah, Sure. Whatever. Uh, you know, the economy is automated, uh, as you start to get to the equivalent of great people. So the ambassadors to go out and talk to the aliens or the spies to go and spy on them. If you let it, the games, you know, logic will just do this and do it on its own, occasionally asking you for prompts, but you can, take manual control of just about frickin' everything in this. But it gets so obscenely complex, you have a little bit more fun being the old type of god game. And and yeah, the uh, resources are surely insane. Uh, Not necessarily all of them are needed, but they're all great to have. And yeah, that's just over halfway through the ones that I discovered in that particular set of games but it's so ridiculously nested and complex. You have more fun watching the automation take over everything and sort of watching your empire grow. And you don't deal with me with the concerns. I'm here for the big picture. I'm the guiding the research. I'm guiding where the economy is supposed to be going. I'm picking where the new colonies are going to go. I'm going to tell the uh, private contractors where to build mining ships. Oh yeah, you also, you can't build. Oh, it's like, Hey, awesome new resource. Go out there and build. No, it's. It's actually a separate economy, the private economy, which does that. You say, yeah, I'm giving you a license to go mine on that asteroid. You get a cut, but we also need a bunch of it too. And that's sort of an interesting thing is that there are two different economies, the ones you're allowed to play with and the private one. And depending on how poorly you do, the private one may fall down or the private one might start to grow and also start to hurt you because, well, you are technically the government. It becomes very frustrating at times, because as it starts to get complex, you're noticing that, oh, my fleets have split out into eight tiny little fleets, so I want to move a bunch of ships over into one single fleet so I can go and smack someone down. And you set it to manual, but a couple of the other fleets aren't on manual, and so they start trying to swap fleet ships into your fleet and out of your fleet. And so now all of a sudden you're halfway there, and you realize that the reason that you're big smack them down fleet is stuck orbiting a planet is because they're waiting for this one arsehole of a destroyer that's out of gas that you told to get out of the fleet but has decided to come back into the fleet and now the fleet's waiting for it to catch up after the fuel tanker hits it so that it can get really frustrating the other thing is that as the game gets more and more into the later stages and you are dealing with civilizations that have dozens of colonies and thousands of ships flowing around, and so do you, all of a sudden, if you little move to the right or the left a little bit too far, you scroll in a little bit too much, it, it's your desktop. Hooray. Or if you're just sort of tooling around and you go to click on a thing, oh, it's my desktop again. This is awesome. Uh, the other thing is that if you're clicking for a manual thing, in the later game, mod every mouse click is registered when you do it there can be a significant amount of lag. So you go to click on something and then click over to another menu and what you've actually done, and you won't realize this, is grab a bunch of your fuel tankers and sent them off into God knows where, because that's where it actually recognized where you were clicking the mouse. So yeah, I'd love to recommend this to the type of person that enjoys this type of game, but I mean, at this point, no. No, not unless you want to sort of join in with the troubleshooting. Like, they released two patches today because one completely and totally destroyed the economy, so they slapped in another one. Eventually, this thing should be fun. And I mean, if it's destroying this uh, sixty-eight hundred XT and Ryzen seven sixty-eight, was it fifty-eight hundred X? Yeah, like and on an NVMe drive. Yeah, it it's chewing up a lot of stuff here we'll see how much of it is bad optimization how much of it is just they're going a little bit further than they should be so yeah if you like this kind of game and you're willing to drop 50 bucks american 60 some canadian on something that's very much a work in progress we could use the help troubleshooting it because <clears throat> i'm also doing that because I'm it's entertaining but honestly no if you're not huge into 4X games, especially the ones that let that you sort of let do things, yeah, no. And if you're sort of curious, again, yeah, no. Just don't do it now. Wait for a couple of months and we'll see how it does. Maybe I'll take it a, as a, a pick a couple of months from now.
0: It could improve over time. Right now, though, the, it seems
2: like the Steam users are with you. Mixed. Only 65 Oh, the music is amusing because it, it's a lot of ambient stuff, but it just randomly goes from a very soft, your brain has sort of filtered it out 12 it was like, and you're like, dun, and you think you're in a boss fight, but then you realize, no, you're playing a forex game and there is a <laughs> boss fight. It just changed. I, I don't like the idea
3: of having to uh, to regas far-flung fleets. It, it, that, that seems an annoying aspect of this.
2: See, I, I'm a little bit upset that they hadn't uh, also done ammo colliers because apparently mm-hmm. some of my rail guns have infinite ammo. Because yeah, I should actually have to have a support like this is something that's been missing it's from a lot of those direct games.
3: Sins of a Solar
2: Empire that somebody suggested
3: in the YouTube chat is actually yep. worth a good yeah, look. it's a
2: classic a good look as well. It's a classic mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, significantly more polished than this by now too. After you know, uh, what, twelve bit. years, fourteen years. Yeah.
0: Let's move to picks of the week. And Josh is going to get us
1: started. Josh. Bam. Me? <clears throat> okay. So sometimes you just need high-end quality audio on your desktop. And these edifiers are about the highest quality you can get for 2.1. They, they do Bluetooth, optical, coax, and, uh, you know, analog input. Eight-inch woofer for the sub. Look at the size of uh, this you know, couch two- in the picture. What's oh wow! Well, look at the size it, of those speakers. Then, good yeah. lord, they're large. Maybe that's thing. just a it's couch it's TV for his remote. I don't get this, but yeah, <laughs> it's um, you know wireless control, really good quality. Do you pay Oak for shelf for audio quality no less? Three forty nine, but you know if if you. Like we were talking before the show, Corsair is no longer selling their SP2500s. Logitech has cut back on their 2.1 speakers till now they're not that great. If you want a higher power, high quality PC speaker, you need to go to guys like this or buy real stereo equipment where you have an amplifier outside of your computer, even though it's connected to the computer, and powering regular bookshelf and 2.1 speaker sets or 5.1 sets, because there just isn't much out there anymore. But Edifier does something that I I feel is, is in between. And they make quality products, they sound good, they're full range but you pay for them. But you know what? If you want good quality audio, not on headphones on your PC, which I game without headphones, but I'm also in the back of the house and nobody else can hear me, so it's not a big deal. But yeah, the golden age of PC audio speakers is past us. And uh, now everybody does uh, headphones. And in ways it's easier for a lot of people And you still get pretty good quality for a hundred bucks or less, but there's just still something about not having a pair of headphones on your head and be able to look around and feel the boom and the bass in your chest because you've got a 5.1 audio set that is you know 500 watts max, you know, that it can peak to, and you feel it when you're playing a game. I'm a little frustrated, but you know. I feel you. It's what it is. I used these uh the Logitech Z twenty
0: three hundred for a long time. Oh, they were fantastic.
1: There was something about
0: that big sub box down by your feet that was mm-hmm. very loud, very impressive bass from these. Yeah. But yeah. This kind of stuff is just, they're not made anymore.
2: And nope. those in the
0: used market are ridiculously expensive yes. for that reason.
1: Yep.
3: That's there's why you need to there's still a market, but nobody is addressing it really hmm? You need to dedicate your, your, your previous That's generation receiver, insane. the receiver from your living room, yeah, once you get a new one, take that receiver to where your gaming PC is. It's still got a very serviceable, probably 5.1 system, if it's within the last 10 years, even. you know, and just get some regular speakers and start hanging them on your wall. Like so? Mm Mm-hmm. Best? This is a Klipsch Klipsch 5.1 with a powered sub. Freaking awesome for playing games. Outstanding. My favorite desktop
0: speaker I've ever used was actually a Boston Acoustics A26. They're a bookshelf speaker with a six, six and a half inch uh, driver and a uh, soft dome tweeter. But I paired uh, two of these with a Class D amplifier, a a pretty high-end one. And it's just you would never go back if you heard something like that. Like any halfway decent bookshelf speaker with a dedicated amplifier is gonna just blow you away compared to the, the tiny drivers that are typically in desktop speakers, but then there's 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 stuff like you mentioned Edifier. There's a best selling pair of speakers on Amazon from Edifier that's powered, near field monitors, decent Did size, you, and they're only
1: hundred bucks. So I Do you remember wow. Cambridge bad. Soundworks? Oh yeah, I do. Yep, yep. And they 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 did stuff with uh, with Sound Blaster, you know, mm-hmm. people.
3: All all my Creative live labs. gear downstairs is Cambridge. I still have it. they they, they quit years and years and years ago. Yep. Sad that times. Is. Yes. Sad. Jeremy, cheer us up.
2: No. Okay. <laughs> no. no. Oh wait, no, Jeremy. Depress no, Jeremy us more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 an interesting start to a mid-range gaming system that I sort of spotted. It, it lacks a CPU or memory, but it's got a power supply, a motherboard, and a 6600. So, you know, yeah, definitely mid-range, but Canadian, 710 bucks. You can go with a fairly low-end uh, Ryzen 5 for only a couple hundred bucks more, and if you can't recycle your RAM, just take a look around for some Good timing, thirty six hundred. Again, you know, for only a couple hundred bucks more, you can be pretty much up and running. There was another one that lacked the graphics card, but came with a CPU and wasn't quite as good a deal because right now the sixty six hundred is selling for well about seven hundred bucks, a little bit cheaper. So this is a good deal.
0: Yeah, it's not amazing.
2: it's me, Wait but, a minute. Yeah, it's Canadian.
0: No, I'm, I'm the power supply. Isn't that is that one of the power supplies that was on the? Uh, is that the infamous bundled PSU that, the, that gamers
2: the, the the Nexus was on? Burn notice, <laughs> burn notice uh, I don't with think it because <laughs> so, this is a non modular one. I'm okay. pretty sure that one was modular. Mm, okay. Yeah, I think you're right about that.
0: Good. Then no issues there. Yeah, I like no. Gigabyte motherboards. So I mean, nothing wrong with an Aorus board. In an in, in, in American dollar, $709, what is that? Like 550 bucks? And you're getting a 6600
2: yeah. and... probably be slightly cheaper. Motherboard.
3: hmm
2: Yeah, it's a pretty good deal. Yeah. Yeah, if you don't like that one, Memory Express is a sixty or 5800 non-X for roughly the same price. You don't get the video card, but you do get... Uh, what is that? A, oh, no, sorry. It is the 5800X... Uh, an Aur- an Aurora's Elite AX B550 and an ML2800 liquid cooler 770. So if you've already got a graphics card, that'd be a better way to go. My guess is that there's far more people that actually have a cooler already than have a CPU, or a GPU rather. Indeed. Right. It's still better than the new egg bundles. Yeah.
0: Brett. Brett, your pick this week.
3: My pick tonight harkens back to two things. Jim used to have a habit of picking television shows or videos or things like that. So mine is also one of those. The second reason is presumably people watching this or on the show can remember barely when they were 13 years old and how damn funny and painful their life was. My pick this week is a show, I can't believe I missed it, Can't believe I missed it, called Big Mouth. Please, Mm. if you enjoy comedy that is something that you would never, ever show your children, go watch this because the laughs come fast and furiously. I was wondering why that was on the screen behind you. Now you know. Now I know. (laughs) Now we know. These are two characters from that show, Connie and Maury, Who are hormone monsters for the 13 year olds on the episodes, girls and boys. (laughs) If you want to laugh at yourself from when you were 13 years old, definitely go watch this because you're going to watch it with horror and mirth. Yeah, both at the same time. Go check it out.
2: And it has absolutely nothing to do with a certain Disney movie, right? Mm. I don't know what you're talking about.
3: Hmm. And it's, uh, it's and it predates it Kroll, a it's Nick Kroll, John years. Mulaney, and of He's course right. those two work together on
0: Kroll Show. And uh, if you can tolerate John Mulaney's style of humor, then
3: oh, maybe. definitely this There's is worse. this is this is definitely something that you need a strong stomach for, and and you can really think back upon like oh yeah it was actually kind of like that in many ways. But you yeah you definitely need a strong constitution to watch this show. My pick this week. We talked
0: about the 12900KS earlier. It's on sale. You can buy it now. It's kind of the spiritual successor to the old Extreme Edition CPUs back in the Pentium D, Pentium 4 era. But forget that. Why would you spend $779 on Newegg right now for a 12900KS when you could buy a Pentium D for just $750? That's right. On eBay right now, you can buy a Pentium Extreme Edition. That's the 965. For just $750. And believe it or not, at this price, there are eight people watching this listing. <laughs> it's insane. And recent listings for this processor have gone for over $500. So that's why they're bumping this up to $750. they are not you know, like, hey, I'm going to take advantage of this. this 130 is,
2: uh, watts? How can anyone work on that?
0: SL9EJ. If you happen to have one of these, by the that's way. It's a 50SA,
1: 17-year-old processor, man. Sell
0: it. Yeah. Sell it now and make... Uh, next month's car payment, and go out to yeah. dinner, and you know whatever else you can pay.
3: Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's a discount. What of, so- think about it; it's two hundred and fifty dollars less than it was when it launched.
3: What what so socket is this again?
0: What
2: socket? That's seven right? oh, yeah. seventy-five. Oh, seven seventy-five.
0: Seven five. Seven
2: seventy-five.
0: All right, well, that is our show this week. Thanks for listening, watching, however you consume the podcast. We will return next week with more. And uh, I have nothing else to say. Good night. Silence Mm. is consent. Is Josh frozen or is he just doing the Josh thing?
2: I'm doing the Josh thing. He's so good at it. He's so good at it. (laughs)